do 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 talk show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That'll work. <laughs> Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba in the news. Obsessed episode 189 is recorded live February 13th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson from Michigan, where the water is slow and the internet is even slower. This week joining me, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here. And we also have joining us, after shoveling a little bit of snow today, Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing all right, all things considered. Now, d- did you get rid of all that snow, or is there still some left? Oh, there's a pile left. We just had a bad spot in front of the firehouse that really needed to be dug out before it started melting and froze into one giant glob. Yeah, I was out looking at my barn tonight. And I've got two posts that are starting to sink under the snow load. I've already had them slated to replace, but this is going to accelerate it a little bit. So I got some. I've already got plenty of spring projects lined up. We just need to get rid of some of the snow. Well, maybe if they give way in the middle of the snow, you'll be able to get some insurance money to replace them. Huh. Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> not not like we ever said it on the air where somebody could hear us. Well, let's, I know nothing. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article up is Alabama. This is a follow-up to a previous article we had covered. Remember that forest that was underwater? Well, Alabama is one step closer to calling that a sanctuary. I thought I had this one already preloaded. Why is it not sitting there? Well, here, I'll have to load it now. So the reason I think the Internet slows because everybody from... The East Coast didn't go to work today, and they've just been playing on Facebook all the time. So Alabama's underwater forest, is the, they're, they're trying to get it set up as a sanctuary. The Gulf of Mexico Fishery Management Council voted unanimously Thursday to have its staff draft a letter in support of designating the forest, located in 60 feet of water, 10 miles off Alabama's coast, as a marine sanctuary. The vote came after the council's Houston meeting, uh, which was after Weeks Bay Foundation Executive Director Ben Rainey's made oral and video presentation to the Reef Committee. This is one step towards protecting the forest. With the approval of the Gulf Council, we can move ahead toward final designation from NOAA, National Marine Sanctuaries Program. They have sanctuaries around the nation, but only one in the Gulf, which is off Texas. The underwater forest fits into the program to what the program tries to protect, uh, Ben says. Uh, we had preliminary conversations with NOAA about the forest and believe the forest will meet the criteria for the sanctuary designation. Under the designation, fishing and diving would still be allowed, but no one could molest the trees on the bottom. Now, is is that a common problem people have with molesting trees? Well, one, I would imagine, how are they going to do anything to Mother Nature? 
because uh, I do believe this was all buried until the last Tarkin about 10 years ago. Yeah. So what are they going to do, sue her again? <laughs> yeah, don't touch those trees. And if it's been 10 years, how much harvesting of the trees has been done? Uh, None could... that I have heard of. None. Uh, the area they're talking is a half a square mile. That's an interesting aspect from the aspect of it's supposed to be a remnant of a riverbed. You would yeah. have expected to have more than a half square mile. Follow the riverbed and see what's at the other part. Yeah. Unless it's still under the sand. So I'm not sure what they're trying to do other than to do something because nobody else has done one. Says he got calls and offers of money for the GPS coordinates from salvage companies wanting to remove the cypress stumps and logs that scientists have aged at 50,000 years old. That's an assumption, though. They didn't say what companies wanted to do that. I think someone just making a comment that's not identified as being valid. Have, yeah. Did you see anything posted otherwise? Well, it. It's him saying it, who he has an agenda where he wants it to be a preserve. So, I mean, it's if if you're not going to take him as word, you could say, yeah, he's he, he made it up. So, yeah, it sounds like a good spot for a preserve and a good uh, objects that would make a nice preserve. It'd be something that'd be fun to dive on. And I guess by making it a preserve, they can say you're not allowed to take the trees did you look at the videos let me see do they have videos on this one yeah there's video also yeah, and i saw the stills but i didn't see any videos yeah i went to the video my point i suppose is i can see the same thing diving almost any river so i was just curious how unique that is i mean the 80 to 80 to fifty thousand years i understand that but again, if that was something that was uncovered by the hurricane, it could go away just as easy. Yep. And other than the size of the fish, you know, fish like that as a habitat. Well, they like any damn thing as a habitat, so yeah. that's not unique. Sink another ship. I'd like that better. <laughs> and ain't nobody got to take it away. No loggers. Make it a make it a steel hull ship, not a wooden ship. Yeah. Well, I, well, they just put a ship right there, and then you got two for one when we go out there diving. You can go look at the. The pretty logs for a few minutes and then go dive put, those shipwreck. Put the shipwreck in the middle, have the buoy off of it so you don't have to do any buoying anywhere around that half mile area. Hey, that, that now that works. Yeah, I'm for that. Now this next one, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think that many of us around here would ever pronounce that right. It's nudie a, branch? <laughs> right, see that's what I would say, nudie branch. And to me that's a, what we in the summer referred to as a swimsuit malfunction. Uh, but I guess the proper pronunciation is nudie brock. Hey, I'm from the South and I think I pronounce it right. And I don't feel stupid. Like that guy said he did behave like a novice diver. That nah, doesn't bother me a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not worried about being thought of as stupid. So, so that's uh so it's nudie brock. How do you say that? Though? I mean, is that somebody pronounces that for you? I mean, how did he find out? So you're just saying it, it, it's um, the spelling here is the way it is in O O D I Brock. It's Nudie Brock. Yeah, it's supposed to be Nudie Brock. A, I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced that way. Have you? No, <laughs> but we don't have them around here. I mean, I don't think there's any in the Great Lakes. I haven't noticed any. Yeah, not that uh, I see it. Uh, West Coast, there may be some. 
Well, Jim must have seen him. Jim, what do you call him on your end of the pond there? Fish. <laughs> <laughs> a nudie branch is a fish, huh? Yeah, nudie, nudie bronc. Nudie bronc. Yeah. Did you feel any fish? Yep. <laughs> what kind? Kind of swim? Uh, gills? Yeah, the extent of my tropical knowledge is that's a clownfish. <laughs> oh, and there's Dory. Yeah, there you go. If there is, you know, I look at that nudie bra. That's why you're never going to get me to announce any of the names there at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, or for that, any of the ones that are from uh, the UK either. We have a hell of a time of that every no. every couple of weeks. Yeah, we, we just need to apologize in advance if your name comes up in a story. You can pretty much count on us mispronouncing it. Absolutely, and we're Americans. We're ignorant, so don't don't worry about it. And well, we're we not embarrassed it, by it. Well, if we pronounce it wrong, that instantly becomes right. <laughs> that's just the american pronunciation yeah yeah Mid- midwest we got all the water it's kind of like a buffer yeah well how about this underground city in bulgaria is uh proposing to have 1100 attractions and one of the attractions is going to be rightly so scuba diving uh, the underwater city which is a former bomb shelter beneath the city seaside park We'll be taking visitors on an interactive trip to time and space. The attractions will include sea adventure section where guests experience scuba diving to a sunken ship, pirate battle, and sea storm. Now, I'm hoping that's actually scuba diving and they're just not doing the Disney-esque ride through the tunnel. I got the impression they're Disney-esque. Nah, that's, that's not scuba diving. I want them to get in gear and go down. I, you know, Kind of like they do the diving in the old missile tunnels. I was trying to figure out 1,100 attractions. What is the cost to go to that amusement center? <laughs> well, it, it, what qualifies as an attraction? There's a, there's the trash can. There's the turnstile. Well, you're an attraction once you get in there. <laughs> you know, it's like watching the people at Walmart. Live <laughs> entertainment. It is. So they said the, they expect the underground city to be open for visitors in 2015. That's not that far down the road there, buddy. No. Well, if the tunnels are already there. You know, how how tough can it be? <laughs> Famous last Interesting. Word. But I didn't see any other items on it. I was looking at, uh, let's see here. Uh, that came up with the same stuff you've got. I wanted to see a picture of what they were talking. Yeah. I, I think part of this is a tease. They, I, I bet if we had extra details, it would be they're looking either for investors or support to for permits. So only reason I think you could have something like that without any actual details. Yeah, because I've been trying to find other details on it, so I could get some kind of pictorials, and I got Zippo. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is interesting, and we have always talked about if we had a missile silo oh. near us, I wouldn't mind diving that. Be a little deep, but that would be interesting. Say you dove one. Yeah. Well, and then you think about it. this time of year. That'd be great. Yeah. You could just pop in, lift the hatch off. Of course, we I think we, the, the closest we got is Bontier, I reckon. Well, I, I was thinking, you know, they could just open up the nuclear plant spent fuel pools. It'd be warm. Been there and done that. <laughs> 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 and yes, plenty of light. You wouldn't need to take your light down. And you really get to see that Compton effect from the fuel rods there. It's like, wow, that's really neat. <laughs> Do you glow when you come out also? I actually took some. Well, photos down there, and the, uh, in a, with a Polaroid, matter of fact, and those suckers were not very good because uh, the radiation, I think, did get to them. <laughs> the uh, activated I, the I, film a little bit. 
Yes, it did. Yes, it did. The only decent ones were on the surface. You need to load. Uh, you need to load X-ray film. <laughs> that yeah, that would have been interesting. Take some blank ones with me. Yeah, just put it. You could have put them between some glass and uh, you know. Set, boy, there, there's some art. You know, some real art people could go nuts with something like that because I bet you'd have some interesting patterns on that glass, kind of like a uh, the old cloud chambers. Yes. It would have been nice to see some actual pictures, though, but yeah. uh, 1,100 traction to be interesting to see what that really means. Yeah. Yeah. Back on, on nuclear for a second, a real squirrel moment here, but did you see, and I, I copied the link, but I need to go back and look at it, that Fusion, they actually had a milestone, and I don't know how recently it was, if it's just the, you know, last week, last month, but they've exceeded the barrier where they're getting more energy out of Fusion than it takes to control and run the reaction who was doing this okay you had to ask me now i gotta i'm gonna go to my my notes i mean because i ever i remember the big hullabaloo when it first came about <clears throat> and it was like and if it's true it's going to be great uh it'll, it'll really revolutionize production of energy but uh haven't seen any really finalizations of hey it really does work yeah this i just read this today so let's see hezbollah was it Hezbollah that did it? Hezbollah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so here I go. There's a lot of sand the over there now that's turned into glass. Oh, that's the underwater forest. What the heck? Uh, no, that's copy link. Go here, paste link. Here we go. This is the one. Oh, you found it? Yeah. I just pasted it into Skype. You could I gotta find go Skype to it. So this is, this is our... Because to me, I believe that's one of the next revolutions that we need to have. And it starts simplifying a whole lot of things if is energy. Because we're limited to some of what we can achieve. Okay, now I believe Lawrence, I was going to say, I give some credence to Lawrence Livermore. Yeah. Interesting. This is called Squirrel Time. Yeah, this is Squirrel Time. This is scientists take a big step in the path towards fusion energy. Uh, and what's only, fusion energy, we, we know has been possible. That's what the sun's doing. Uh but the the challenge is that to create in an earth type atmosphere you you have to have you know you basically got to get the plasma held together and the amount of energy it takes to get that plasma to create a fusion reaction is more than the energy you get back out of it uh, let's see this is interesting as a, as another scroll note if you've never done it before for it really is interesting fun and giggles go read how the sun works how you know how does it produce what it produces both in heat light temperature and then when you look at that you're going to find our sun is a baby one meaning baby from the aspect of heat it's i mean when you think the sun is hot it's nothing compared to some of the massive suns that are out there oh yeah anyway read up on it it's really awesome it boggles your imagination and it's hard to phantom the numbers and the quantities and the sizes of things you're talking about. Oh yeah, we we yeah, it's amazing when you think of some, something as small as what we handle every day. Just how gigantic the universe and everything else is. It's unbelievable. I said the uh, highly precision machine uh, mounted at the center of one thousand one hundred ninety-two ultraviolet lasers uh, at one point eight five megajoules of energy. So the the results yielded ten times better than previous experiments they said it was still well short of ignition which energy produced exceeds the entire equipment used just not the smaller amount that actually reached the fuel so is this kind of an accounting 
type of thing. We did it, but we didn't really do it. Because to me, you have to include that in. That's break even. Well, it sounds like they 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 ignited it, but they couldn't get it to sustain. It's like you know, whenever you punch in the little gas thing on our heater, yeah, and it it almost starts and almost starts and almost starts. We haven't got the heat up there on the thermocouple to open the gas jet to let it stay there. I just want to have something like that. They, they, they're, it's tickling it, but it's not getting it to yeah. stay on. He says, we also see evidence of the bootstrapping required to accelerate the, uh, dar, was it, dar, trillium? Does that? I, uh, I got to figure out where you're at. It's at the very bottom. Uh, is that deuterium? Deuterium, tritium. Tritium. Fusion. Uh, burn to eventual runaway and ignite. I always remember back when they did the uh, Manhattan Project, and you look at the scientists' pros and cons, and it was like 50-50. Either it's going to work good, or it's going to go, and you can't stop the chain reaction. Well, that, the that's what I was thinking, is that this is one of those... Well, because like, uh, you're exactly right. And when they were doing that, uh, you know, and, and part of my knowledge is from watching movies, <laughs> where they had the, the two parts went critical on them in that room. Well, you know, there's a lot of places in life where it's a very fine line between, oh, yeah, and oh, crap. Yeah. And that's probably a lot more than you want to know about, especially with your doctor and heart surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Run, but I'm not quite sure I like the term run away and ignite. <laughs> yeah, maybe they, they, they need some marketing people on their side to... To kind of uh, to help them. Edward, yeah, like stability, controlled. Yeah. But then again, anytime the government tells me we have it under control, it scares me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so much for the scroll, but that was neat. Yeah, I, I just, when I saw that, it's because, like, that's one of those things I want to have happen in my lifetime is just to get energy to where, because, you know, not that I'm a big global warming person, but, you know, if you could get fusion going, you, you just there, there's so many things that were limited on size. You know the cost of it. We we really need you know, like computers right now. We're getting to the point where some of these server rooms, even a small server room, can be tens of thousands of dollars a month in just electricity. And then you look at the big data centers; that's billions of dollars. It's just too much. And the same thing with uh, the internet. One of the things that people don't talk about is it costs money for those internet switches to be powered. Each port has a certain energy consumption, and in some cases it can be quite a bit. So we really need to get those energy costs down. Well, the other aspect, though, and you mentioned it earlier, though, you said like the greenhouse. Yeah. The big deal for the greenhouse is population explosion. The issue is not going to be, are we going to run our resources? It's like we have too damn many people. If you only had... Three billion, we wouldn't have the issues we're talking about today. Yeah, and part of it, of course, is the energy. But we are the ones devouring the planet. Yep, with the energy, we we have some other options, all sorts of stuff: tunnel boring machines, maglev. All this stuff would be a lot, a lot more possible. I think we've we've got the ability to envision it. Uh, it's just that there's so much cost in in making a lot of it happen. Now, here's something, and it, you wouldn't originally think right away uh, that this is dive-related, but you have couples. The new trend is doing plastic surgery together. Yeah, I was looking for the tie-in here, and I know you <laughs> must know where it's at. I, I do know where it's at, and maybe this is something that we need to encourage. So, gentlemen, listen very close as I stall for my article to load. 
as I watched the bar go very, very slow, almost halfway there. In the intro, you thought I was kidding about slow internet. Wow. Here we go. Well, what it is 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 they they do a story about Jackie and David, uh, how they do everything together, and they got a, a facelift. But if you, you you go into the backstory a little bit, both David and and Jackie had conditions that before they got married, what they had to do. So for David, well, let's let's cover it with Jackie. Jackie, he had to learn how to shear alpacas at the family property in Nevada. For David, he wanted Jackie to learn how to scuba dive. It was a deal breaker if I didn't like it, Jackie said. And he said it was no, but I knew for sure that it was. <laughs> so so he's saying that he made her learn to scuba dive before they get married. Okay. That one animal you just talked about on the property in Nevada, what kind of animal is that? An alpaca is kind of like a mini llama. An alpaca? Like, have you ever seen a llama? You know, they kind of yeah. got, and they got the long neck. Take it to about half the size, and that's an alpaca. Uh, they tend to be white, and uh, they're they're known for their they get they shear them like sheep. They have a very uh, nice fine coat, and I have actually carried alpacas before. <laughs> my my brother in law who owned an amusement park had alpacas and llamas and deer and an alpaca. Oh my! <laughs> what's that? <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and and an alpaca. The funny thing is, I can remember when we're, we're moving stuff because you just you just get used to it. And and I went to pick it up, and it was almost like throwing. It's like have you ever seen a poodle when it's been completely shaved? That's yeah, kind of what like what alpaca is. It looks furry, so you see these legs that are that look to be big and round, and it's ninety nine percent fur. So they're they really only weigh maybe thirty pounds, forty pounds, but they look like they should be a hundred and some. All right, do they shear these guys during the early part of the summer so they got time to grow the hair back before it gets cold? Yeah, it's like you do it with sheep. There's a time of the year in which you do it. There's there's nothing that says it has to be one time or the other unless you're just a jerk and you want to have frozen naked alpacas running around. But you usually do it about once a year. Okay. Uh, I, I hear you talking about that, and I just remember uh used to do a newsletter with an uh, individual, and she had parrots. And uh, one of the parrots got sick and shedded every single feather it had. <laughs> and I swear to God, when you get there, it's like a naked chicken, but the head was on it, and it was alive. But it was just like looking at a dead chicken walk around. And you had to have heat lamps and everything in that cage so it would live. Yeah, but terrible. That's when you say you know, shearing these animals, that's, that's got to be really weird unless you get used to it, I suppose. Yeah, you, you eventually do with, with sheep and stuff. Uh, we, we have some people who have jumped into the chat room, and uh, we'll, we'll let them know that. Uh, Must have heard you talking about sheep and drew a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a political thing about sheep, people. This is not political. This is different political. Yeah. That's a different brand of sheep we're talking on the other one. Yeah. But we're not going to go there either. Well, maybe. Give us or at least time. I see the t- at least you I might see go the t- there. I'm not going to go there. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we might have a name for the show, and we're going to call it Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> if there's males involved, it's Squirrel. Yeah, we're all over the place this week. Uh, Oregon State students dive into field research. A scientific diving program encouraged greater student participation in the Oregon State University research diving. 
In 1990s, they implemented a formal scientific diving program in order to enhance research capabilities. I thought that stood for Ohio State. <laughs> I think if you're in Ohio, it does. A uh, scientific diving program is offered as a graduate-level course during spring and summer terms under the Office of Research Integrity. Oh, my goodness, they call it Research Integrity. Uh, the university's research office. The course is for all students who plan to use scuba diving as a tool for research. The course covers diving top. Yeah, it says topics. I almost said tropics. Related to working in the marine environment, including diving physics, physiology, medicine, rescue, decompression theory, navigation, environment, marine life, research method and tools, equipment and university, and national diving standards. Here, what we're going to do, since Dave's there, let's invite him in. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> it's Dave. I just feel guilty. It's like, you know, watching somebody out in the cold where you're eating a big, nice sandwich. Yeah, but, you know, that's what Dave Dave would do to us. No, Dave would share his sandwich. Invite him in because he would share his sandwich. I have an extra toothpick you can have. He's that kind of guy. Yeah, I I think he would. Uh, They said the scientific diving program is a wonderful way for students to fine-tune their dive skills and gain practical experience in underwater environments that serves them well in entering the respective fields, the program's dive safety officer said. It's a bridge for students to collaborate with OSU research and agency partners who are out there working in our underwater world. All I know is the price is not bad, and if I could get that here, I would definitely take that course. Uh, Purdue has a nice class on this, too, Scientific Divers, uh, because they have some nice archaeological programs. And to participate in their programs, especially the underwater type, you have to take their course and become a scientific diver. Yeah, and I think that's and, exactly what this is. Well, the yeah, the first two-thirds of all of it are the diving aspects that you can get through a rescue diver. Only it's to their standards and to their, their wow. protocols. Uh, and a lot of the colleges like this who have their own scientific divers is if they go somewhere else to participate and it does not meet their standards, it's up to them to make the decision whether or not they should been their standards because theirs is probably better than the other person's and and to dive it or not dive it so i'd like to see if they're all consistent uh-huh but i'd, I'd still like to take one and that's what i, I was too. looking at for for the one down in purdue now, it's in there, bloomington so there's one that's in purdue close, yeah and yeah but it's in bloomington area and that's the uh closest one i can find for us because uh, i was trying to get them if we had enough interest or hopefully they we, we could stimulate some interest for them to come up and work on the wreck uh-huh. uh, it's one of those equivalency yeah. we've got enough we've got two-thirds of what they want uh, it would be interesting to see how we could um, merge into their program without having to be, do a lot of work on their site it's, they don't have anything it's all lab related uh-huh. uh, so it's nothing I can do administratively over the net and again, you know how that is. If you're going to train in the in the water to do surveys, you need to be in the water. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, they're saying here that the student needs to have a minimum of a recreational advanced open water certification from a recognized training agency in order to enroll in the program. The dive safety officer in the scientific diving program prefers students have a recreational rescue diver certification. So, like you said, they're positioning it as a step above rescue diver. So it's like rescue diver with their twist to it. Well, the one up here or at, the, at Purdue there, it starts from day one as if you didn't have the cert. And it, it brings you up their way 
all the way through all of those oh, okay. aspects. And uh, some of the programs are Patty, some are Nowie, mm-hmm. but they're all enveloped in their own. Um, if you look at colleges, have their safety manuals for diving. Each of those will be unique to the college and what they participate, what they want. But uh, it's still interesting. I'd love to be able to take one if it were local. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah, they said lab fees is $413, including lectures, confined water training, open water dives, and nitrox certification. Yeah, that's yeah, a I'd bargain. F- oh, I'd go f- for that net flash, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you get nitrox with it. Uh, yeah, I, I would do it. Well, as we know with the nitrox, all you if you know, do nothing more than remember 32%, 36%, know your max depth and your time, and go by O2, not O2, but go by your normal air table, you're never, ever going to get yourself in trouble using nitrox. You mean the voodoo gas is safe? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And then if you were going to use it per the table, as long as you know your table and you got your watch working, and or like Jim, I think, Jim, all your computers are, uh, I think most of them anymore, you can set up your nitrox. Yeah. Usually the minimum, they they do... Uh, nitrox in the straight up air. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm ultra conservative. I always use my air table, even if I'm on nitrox. So I'll, you know, I mine will say I need deco where I know I'm not, but I'm following the computer and I'm trying to be conservative. Well, we it's not just the students here. We have educators. So if anybody uh, from Purdue who has well, those classes age, and want to teach those up here, let the Mud Club thing. know. We'll be more than happy to. <laughs> Boy, there's a little bit of a Skype lag there. <laughs> Go ahead, Mac. No, I wasn't talking. I was listening, and it's, it oh. was really broken up for a moment. Yeah, it was like everybody had a little bit of a lag, and it kind of overlapped. So what did you? what were you saying, Jim? Moving right along. Yeah, moving right along. No, I was commenting on uh, Mac's comment about the using air tables when diving nitrox as a safety factor. And when you get up in age and you're not in the best shape, that's probably not a bad idea at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm approaching you guys there as well. Uh, Dave! No. Not sure if he's got his mic on or not, but uh, we have... We we invited Dave in since the chat room was acting up, and we saw him looking all lonely, so we brought him in here. I had muted out, guys. <laughs> so so you you got snow over there as well? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not enough though. And you're going to take some of this back with you, and over the network, of course, we'll send it over to you. No, no, no. You can keep it. It's time for it all to melt away, so we can get into open water. I've had enough ice diving. Have we? Is, is anybody in the club ice dove yet? Not since the first of the year. Oh. Terrible. All this ice and we can't get under. I and can't get six people. We've got a pretty good one going this weekend. They're going to be doing uh, a shipwreck in Lake Erie off Colchester under the ice. Oh. That'd be cool. Yeah, they got one this uh, actually for a Saturday at uh, Sheboygan. And they're going to have one... And I'm going to have one uh, March the first. That's going to be March on 1st. the tugboat. Yes. Yeah, I was I was just going to mention that and see if maybe we had uh, some people who might run a, run up there for that one. So that's March first. Yeah. yeah. Huh. 
kind of a midwinter retreat in Sheboygan. Yeah, that'd be interesting to do. I thought that was later in the show. <laughs> Normally is. Yeah. We're, we're playing squirrel today. We're, we're doing, yeah, we're squirreling. Yeah. We're all over. And now we have educators who are going to set a record in Key Largo for the longest stint in an underwater habitat. Uh, the educators are from Tennessee, a 62-year-old Vietnam veteran and turned biology professor and a 24-year-old adjunct professor plan to take the plunge on October 4th. Uh, if they said if all goes to plan, they will remain submerged for 72 days. They're going to be doing this from a 600-square-foot underwater habitat. The Jules Verne, Jules, I said Jules Verne. It says Jules Undersea Lodge. Did I just add Verne in there? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. Freudian slip. Yeah, what are you talking about, Verne? Uh, we're not conducting experiments, but we're trying to discuss... We're not trying to discover any new species. Our main goal is to be able to broadcast underwater to show kids what it's like to get them excited that science is real. But they're going to talk about Mars. They should be talking about underwater. Said so Buzz will talk about Mars. We can learn more about exploring Mars by being weightless in the ocean. They said their program is going to be tiled our seas, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been all three of those. Uh, I just did a quick search so I could take a look and see what that's going to look like. I don't think the pictures I have are doing it really any justice, though. No. Well, they, Looks like an underwater trailer. Yeah, and they said that half of that is the wet lab for changing in and out of gear. Yep. So How pretty, deep is that? Does anybody know? Uh, for some reason, 60 feet stands in my mind. Because I keep thinking of deco. How long is the deco? Yeah, well, you're you're in saturation. Or well, yeah, after if it's sixty feet, uh, you're definitely in sat. Key Largo lodge is located twenty four to thirty feet of water. Okay, I was looking at somebody who did this small hotel underwater Key Largo. Blah blah blah. Interesting. Yeah, it didn't have too much though on. But after that many days, I mean, I wonder how they do the. Uh, acclimation to come back to the surface i've seen there was somebody who set the record last time uh, and i remember it didn't go real well as they were doing the media thing as he got out uh his vitals went kind of wacky and it they had to stop it because uh, i think what they do is they is they they bring them i don't know if they're going to do it this way this time but i think last time the person got brought out and put immediately into a decompression and then they gradually brought him out because I, I, I was probably, I mean, what are you going to do, a safety stop for 20 hours? I was going to say, how do you do that? Yeah, there, there's there's some tables that we don't have that are involved with, with when you're underwater that long. Yeah, I just had another one here. It says, can you remain underwater at 21 feet forever? I've read that the no decompression limit is 21 feet of seawater for an in, indefinite period of time. Is that correct? Uh, no one's been able to say that's correct or not. Did they say? No, they didn't. I'm still looking at this to find out. He says, per his computer, it's a no deco as long as you're under 21 feet. But I know that you're still sucking up nitrogen at 21 feet. Yeah, there's probably some sort of pressure theory that... Okay, the other guy says the moon pool at Jules Undersea Lodge is at 21 feet. Okay. And he said, yeah, you could. That's odd. Now I'm going to have to look that up, you realize that. Yeah, well, it has to be that at 21 feet, completely saturated 
is not enough of a pressure difference that when you come up that you're going to have a problem. Well, they said you can get DCS at 10 feet, yeah. and usually not, and a lot of times you won't even get it until after you get back on shore. Well, I was going to say the last time somebody broke this particular record, there was some complications, and, and nothing ended up happening, and they kind of played it off as there's nothing wrong, but, you know, heart rate went crazy. I think he kind of blacked out, so we'll have to see, but... Uh, this says we're looking yeah. for national sponsors to cover the $250,000 cost of the mission. He thinks Papa John's Pizza would be a great fit. He says they already delivered to the habitat. Now, do you have to be a certified diver for Papa John's to do the delivery? According to their website, if you're not, you can do it as a Discover Scuba experience. Wow. And the other question is, they, they do mention on their website that they uh, are providing fresh air. Is it possible that it's uh, kept at one atmosphere? You're talking about in the in the habitat. In the habitat, is it possibly kept at one atmosphere? No. Would, How it, could you do that? You'd have water in if you had that open to the atmosphere or open to the water. Good point. Moon pool. Good point. Yeah, yeah. you yeah, can't. You'd have, to, you'd have to seal it up. I have to look into that. That's got my curiosity <laughs> aroused now. But so is the next couple you have too, oh, though. Yeah, this this next one that should get everybody talking. I like that. Okay, bring this one, get this one to load up. You're still waiting for it to load? Yeah, the little blue bar moving. There. I just, I just, I look at the title, you know, and it's like fearsome weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, you've already read the article, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm just looking at, yeah, they, they have a, a little bit something. different. Uh, opinion of something as a fearsome revolutionary era naval weapon. Well, I, I'm sure it was fearsome. I kept at thinking, time. wow. I, yeah, sure, it was a sharp stick in my eye. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fearsome at its time. So, what Mac is referring to is a revolutionary war evil naval weapon. Evil. <laughs> Freudian. Oh, my goodness. A revolutionary war era Easy for naval you weapon found in a river <laughs> in Bristol. Now in the hands of state conservationists, I was going to say something else, uh, arrived in the borough on January 30th to take possession of a fearsome revolutionary era naval weapon pulled from the Delaware River in December and almost mistaken for a tree trunk. It was around Veterans Day when members of the Bristol Anchor Yacht Club discovered the historic treasure as they labored to retrieve buoys from the waterway for the season. Frustrated at first because they thought the object caught one of the buoys was a large tree or wooden pole, the workers were ready to chop it up until uh, Kevin, uh, the anchor's commodore, recognized it as a chavoy de fraise. Is that how they say that? Freeze? Chavo de freeze? Hey, we're in America. We can say it any way we want. Chavex des fries. At 29 feet long, the spike, which is also referred to and meant to puncture holes in the hulls of ships. Uh, Paul, a member of the crew, also knew that the find was old and valuable because she had seen one before in the Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, where historians surmise that the fledgling American military used to use the device during the Revolutionary War. One was found in Bristol, apparently floated up from the area, likely discharged or propelled upriver by San Hurricane Sandy in October. They said it was transported by Rob's Automotive and Collision Center. We, we should play a, lo uh, a slogan there. In Bristol Township, to Pensbury Manor and Falls Township where conservationists will preserve it until decisions made and where the artifact will be stored and eventually destroyed, I mean displayed. Uh, that according to Douglas Miller. The weapon 
des- uh, designed to cause catastrophic damage by impaling the hulls of warships needs tender care, experts said, because of its iron tip held on by leather straps is badly rusted. We are thrilled that the Anchor Yacht Club recognized and recovered this artifact. Uh, Kurt Carr, senior curator of archaeology at the State Museum in Pennsylvania and Harrisburg, said it would be properly conserved and eventually put on display at one of the state's museums. Carr did not specify which site. Such objects are the property of the Commonwealth, and we move to a safer environment. We acknowledge the significant contribution of the Anchor Yacht Club in recovering this very important artifact and thank them for their efforts in protecting it over the past three months. Carr said there are three other other, uh, Chevard de Fries things he's uh, known to exist in the Philadelphia area in the past six years. Two are recovered from Fort Mifflin area. The other is in private hands, and its owner is in New Jersey. Jersey. the spikes were old-fashioned weapon, even even by the times of the Revolution. Their first used on land during medieval times by lashing several spikes together, stretching them across land to prevent invading horse-mounted armies from penetrating borders. Can't they just say pointy sticks? So if you imagine a log with the end tapered off, and then they lashed a piece of iron to it with leather, the iron point, that's really what this was. Now, that's going to be some conservation that they're going to have to do on that. I wonder how successful they're going to be. Uh, and if I were looking at it, 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 it would hold it my was, attention for how long? Probably shouldn't be too bad. It's fresh water, and if they believe that it was submerged under the mud, uh, should be in pretty good shape. I mean, if they if it was a leather strap holding it, you know it's got to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, it had to have been in the river. They, they said Hurricane Sandy, but it had to have been... That just turned the river up, or you had the tidal surge come and expose it. Uh, because if it had been out in the salt water, it seems like it would have been gone a long yeah, time Hurricane ago. Hurricane Sandy scoured, you know, dumped a lot of water and uh, probably scoured a lot of river bottom. Yeah, yeah, rivers filled up. Can I go squirrel on you for a second? Sure, go for it. So Look at the decompression tables. Uh-huh. According to the tables per the book. At 21, at 20 feet, I have no decompression, and I'm unlimited in my time. There you hmm. go. I, it's hard to believe that only because at 25 feet, I have 595 minutes. So seems to me if I'm still under pressure, and I am at approximately two-thirds greater than normal at 20 feet, correct? Yep. I am getting a nitrogen load, especially if I've been there for 72 freaking days. So, but I it's was just probably, curious. Mac, it's probably such a uh, slow tissue load that it will come out of solution so slowly that you wouldn't have to worry about it. Well, slow I'm in, just, slow out. All right. I was just curious about that. Then why do I even worry about that for my uh, repetitive dive? aspects i was looking at it for 10 feet and i if i'm there what 797 minutes i'm an e-diver 60 minutes that's a class 120 is b it just doesn't seem logical at this point i just thought i'd add that because i saw a comment saying look at your schedule and it says good yeah. and it does says unlimited, but by the same token, it gives you a repetitive table reference, well, which it, means I am sucking up something. Well, yeah, you're, you're sucking it up, but yeah. you're, you, you're not to that point where you're exceeding that, that limit. 
But if you're going to do a repetitive dive, it's kind of like you've got a head start. So if you started at 21 feet and then you go down another 10 feet on a repetitive dive, you've you've already got you know 21 feet of nitrogen in you. Yeah, but none of these tables reference I'm going to be down there for 72 days. <laughs> yeah, well. It's, 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 so I just thought I'd toss that in it's, again. It's not, I'm still looking that up. It, it's I, I'd say it still counts as theory, but I'm also pretty sure that they've well this this habitat's been here for a while and uh, yeah, but they're saying most of the stays that people have are overnight. That's only 24 hours, and I've seen the table up here for 700 and something minutes. Yeah, which is over at you know you're talking 24 hours, so. That's already proven you can do that, but I was like, that's a stain. But, again, I'll quit my squirreling right now and you go back to where you were. Sorry about that. Well, we're to that point where, uh, let's see here, they've got the, the Great Lake Shipwrecks Festivals coming up. And I'm trying to get this article. That's on the 22nd. It's on the 22nd. Oh. Yes, sir. Yep. That's a nice photo. I like that one. They're showing the wheel of the 130-foot schooner, the William Young. Boy, that was nice. So where's that going to be? That one is going to be in the Watinawa, Washtenawa Community College on February 22nd. Washtenaw. Yep, same place as last year. Okay. Washtenaw. Washtenaw. From 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., the festival play host to three hourly presentations running concurrently in the, J, the Morris J. Lawrence building on the campus of WCC. They said highlights of the Great Lakes room will include shipwreck hunter David Trotter recounting his discovery of the Keystone State shipwreck in Lake Huron last July, the mystery of Northwest Flight 2501 that disappeared over Lake Michigan, and the exploration of water surrounding Isle Royal. So who's going to that one? I don't know. I think I may go to the Ohio one, Scuba Fest. Yeah. So this is the one up in Wisconsin. No, Scuba Fest is the 15th of March. That's in Ohio. They, um, oh, okay. Yep. Talking about the ghost ships. Mm-hmm. And the ghost ships is the same day, the 15th, and that was the one up in Wisconsin. Bob will be going to that one. Okay. And then we've got Our World Underwater coming up this weekend. Yes, Saturday. So Saturday. So it's Well, for a, us, it's Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. Friday. It's a three-day show. Uh, I think there's... So now... Everybody got to pay attention. I think all three of us are going to be there, but probably not all at the same time. So I think it'll be impossible to get a picture of all of us. <laughs> so Well, I will be wearing the colors. So, so if somebody thinks I'm Darren, I'll, I'll, I'll pretend I'm Darren. Yeah, there you go. What colors are you wearing? Jacket and my hat. A mud club. Yes. Yep. So I'm going so, to be looking for the freaking mermaids. I've missed them two years now. Yeah. Well, I don't see them as a sponsor this year. In the, in the years that they show up, they're usually listed as sponsor, and I'm not seeing them as a sponsor. Uh, but Mac, you're going to be there Saturday. Jim's going to be there Saturday and Sunday, and I'm going to be there Sunday. And let's see. We should have Bob, and Mary Beth, and Randy, and Mister Meester. They're going. We're all going to meet for breakfast down at uh, Sophia's in Michigan City on Saturday in the morning. And then I'll be picking up Dave and Lucy and possible Sir Larry. So we'll have seven or eight uh, in one group. Excellent. And, and I'll oh. be sitting in sessions and seminars most of the day, but hook it out on the floor and walk around sometimes. I think there was one that Bob was interested in but didn't realize that cost money to go to that one separate and that was the obviously rebreather section yeah i'm yeah. always torn on shows i 
I tend to be cheap, so I don't go and pay that extra to go sit the, at the seminars. Uh, they used to have different type, and I used to go what you as a club. We used to go all night. Yeah. We'd go do the film festivals, all the seminars, and the floor. Uh, and it was a great time because wives would go with us back in the old days when we were young. Uh-huh. But uh, we haven't, and it used to be downtown. So I would like a better When downtown. they moved it out, it, it changed. Yeah. I liked it. I mean, then we got to eat at night at pizza places, and after the ladies went back, guys would go together down to Rush Street. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, I, I would much prefer downtown. I think the car show's going on, or ending by then. Or maybe this is the public. I know, last was the motorcycles, and then the car were before. Yeah, yeah, because cars And the, the boat show place. was before that. Yep. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Same as the boat show. Yep. Well, we've got some photos of the week. We, I, I kept finding a lot of articles with photos. This first one is for Michigan. Eight photos of really slow-moving water, uh, frozen waterfalls. In Michigan, we have over 200 waterfalls, and when it gets cold like this, many of them freeze. And they make some amazing photos. Some people are doing some ice climbing on them, like those uh, Munising Falls. Uh, let's see, the Quamanon Falls. Uh, okay, there's one in Munising, but it doesn't look like they're all frozen, so you're going to have to be careful there. And then uh, Tannery Falls in Alger County. Yeah, some of those are pretty neat. So we also have some jellyfish, some amazing photos of jellyfish there. That is a cool picture, though, isn't it, though? That's yeah. very crisp. I like that. Yeah, and these are some different ones. Occasionally, and we learned about jellyfish last week. Yeah. What I liked about this is they weren't the same four shots of jellyfish that you tend to see all over. Some uh, These are a little bit of a variety. And it looks like they're taking these, they said, in the seas off Ornke Islands, which I have no idea where that is. I guess if I was in the U.K., I might. And I am not going to read the names of these. If you want to see the Latin names, I can say this one's a medusoid life form you're a cherry picking i am <laughs> I'm, I'm picking words i can say uh let's see pagalia nocturia Noct- no okay, you could, these are like uh magic potions n-o-c-t-i-l-u-c-a Noct- no i'm not gonna go there you notice that guy playing with the blue whales you yes. realize he does not have a tank on yeah, that, that, that's a free diver. That's a, you're, you're, no, that's you're, an idiot. Those two guys keep their, you know, they chomp their little jaws a little more on his his mitts, and he's screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, so you, what you've done is you've jumped to the uh, the free divers diving with the beluga whales. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's, called, that's called Darwin. I think that we kind of take care of that. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Damn. Real, real free divers have, have cylinders on their backs. Or rebreathers. <laughs> this is, yeah. Well, the, because there's you got a little bit extra challenge. You know, not only are they free diving. Well, I bet they don't have any problem about thinking they're going to hit the bottom. No, I wouldn't think you would hit the bottom. This is definitely go towards the light, isn't it? Deep, it's a little deep where they're at. Yeah. You're not going to stir up the muck and then knock out your viz. Yeah. Well, the thing about it, though, is you're under the ice, and they're not tethered, unless I'm missing yeah, the tether. Well, we sort of done we've done that well we, we've done that but i also <laughs> okay have, so we're crazy as they are i have a couple seconds of air but we don't have mammals bigger than us yeah with a hand in their mouth dragging us to the bottom <laughs> saving you for a snack later just tuck you under a log 
Well, they, they say later on they say he oh, was tied to a safety did, line while he dived. The bottom one where they got where they got a picture of both the holes. Did you see the one where they got two holes? And if you look at the ice, they had to make it in chunks like big ice cubes because it was so thick they could only cut small chunks to make the big hole. Wow! Keep going down. That's an awesome picture when you get. It to does. It. Now, what is that skin suit that they're wearing? A seven mil wetsuit is what I read, just with nice colors. Kind of a little bit of pattern. Look at those fins that they use for, or should I call them flippers? Uh, the fins on that they. Have, they're about three times longer than our normal scuba fins. Yeah, that sure looks that way, doesn't it? Huge. But they do they do show a line, so maybe we're just That's not an interesting tripod, not tripod, but arrangement with the rope in it. Uh huh. We had a pulley there. Yeah. We could put a pulley on that and that way instead of looking like a beach whale when we get out, we just pull ourselves up easy that way. Yeah. I'm for that. Oh, and me too. Except I want a platform I can just sit into as you pull me up. That's something to think about, though. That's huh. a nice way. Yeah, if you had something that was just maybe two or three feet that you could do. Or maybe like a, a mousetrap springs, so like you grabbed onto the end and then somebody stepped on the lever and it, like, flipped you out. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Landing might be a little bit yeah. sweet. Kind of has a Mad Magazine-esque image to it. Yeah. But those are some nice photos. I like that. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to put my, my hand in his mouth when I don't have a tank. It's a little freaky. I see somebody else likes the lobster tail, the, the lobster tail, lobster gloves, three finger mitts there. And then underwater hotel. This is a some additional photos. We've we've talked about this concept before. Looks like somebody's trying to shop this around, but they've actually got some additional renderings, more than they did. And we've heard it being pitched at Dubai, but this time they look like they're pitching it for Australia. And it's sort of funny, is this came up in conversation today at my household, really? not even knowing you're going to have this tonight. Uh, there is a big controversy in Australia on this. On this one? Yes, sir. What, what are like, they concerned You're going to do what to my barrier reef? Oh, goodness. There's some big environmental issues there that this is not something a lot of them want to have. Didn't Jacques Cousteau say that you protect what you love? And if you don't let people get near it, then I am sure you could make some criteria and say you can't go and destroy and displace because you could find a spot right on the edge and place this. Or you take an area that's been damaged from something else, you put this in the middle, and then you let coral build up around it. Oh, goodness. Well, the neat part is it's built away. They tow it in like they do the platforms. Oh, yeah. And then a solid, which I would think would create minimal disruption to the sea life and environment. Well, is that any worse than a ship coming through there and crashing into the coral? And sinking? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just, it was a a concern. I I heard about that today from uh, another individual who lives in Australia. And that was one of the big topics for the day. Yeah, but I, I, Let's see. They're, they're expecting it to be to cost about sixty million. Allow uh, additional discs to be added in the above water sections later on. Submerged to a depth between ten to thirty meters with twenty-two rooms. Uh, each room has floor-to-ceiling windows made of uh, well, some looks like some sort of Lexan. Did you notice most of the comments on that? Why is Australia so intent on destroying the reef? Very environmentally harmful. 
Do you know what I think happens, and we're not seeing it? Because you look, a lot of these comments are from mm-hmm. the same people over and over again. Is I think that there's groups with an agenda, and they are against something for whatever reason, and then they get fired up, and then they go and just spam the heck out of these comments. Artist's conception is pretty neat looking. Yeah. Uh, any idea what kind of, um, not tsunamis, but um, they have typhoons there? Yeah, I think they do. I'm just looking at that. I wonder what kind of uh, ocean agitation do they have during a typhoon in this location? I think you'd have some. You're going to have some storm surges that go on when that happens. Well, I am, I'm more than uh, sure that this would be stressed for that kind of event. You would hope that you would hope so. You'd hope that, I would hope so. You, you'd, you'd Otherwise, you will have that wreck on the bottom we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, something else to dive, which would be fun as well. Uh, uh, video of the week, we have one. It's it's. Uh, we won't, we, I don't encourage anybody to watch it all right now, but you go back and check it out. We'll have in our show notes later, and this is a one-hour seminar in underwater photography. Everything you need to know. So the pro photographer is Larry Cohen. If I could afford the cameras they have, I could probably oh. do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's half of it right there. They've got the proper gear for it. Well, that does it for scuba in the news this week. Potentially cool gear. Did we oh, miss wait, that? wait. Yeah, I missed that. Let's see. I, I... Here we go. Load that one up. Okay, and there's a, there's a few pieces of gear they're showing here. The the one we've talked about before is the iGillis. If I can get this damn ad to get out of my screen. Uh, this is... Uh, so the iGillis is just a, an underwater housing for iPhone that turns it into a dive computer. Then they have the Liquid Vision Lynx ultrasound monitoring. They said it's using ultrasound waves instead of radio waves for air and location monitoring. It gives a system range of about 330 feet, making it useful for diving groups, families, and classes. It does wireless air monitoring and location monitoring. It allows you to monitor your own air pressure and that of up to nine other people. You can always have your air or that of your class or family on your screen. Did we talk about this one before? No, I don't believe this one here. We talked about the waterproof casing. But I was just curious about the casing. You still have to have something so you can have ambient pressure to this. Otherwise, how is it going to work as a dive computer? Unless you're doing it strictly by time. Oh, the 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 iGillis, what they're doing on that is there's actually uh, uh, sensors on the case. So when you plug the phone in, it it the ducks to it. So it's not the the sensor isn't inside the case. It's outside it. And the under, the uh, ultrasound monitoring, the aspect about monitoring your your group, if you had six students mm-hmm. and you could tell their air, that would not be a bad backup feature. Yeah. Well, we, we had one before that was doing this, but it it didn't do it nearly as many. And then this one, it looks like, I'm trying to, they make it sound like there's location, but maybe I'm just reading. It says location monitoring. It says it does wireless air monitoring and location monitoring. I'd like to know what the location monitoring is. So the only drawback is that divers might be enthralled by the brightly lit color display. They said it's hard not to stare at the computer too much. It's like playing a video game. It's almost too interesting. Where that would be handy would also be on the surface. If you're on the boat and you could monitor who's down there. 
Yeah, and then you say, well, golly, they're out of here. I wonder where they're at. <laughs> yeah. Here, somebody go make sure you retrieve their gear. Uh, yeah, I still like the idea of everybody carries a milk jug behind them. At least we know where everybody's at. Yeah. Facilitate that finding the gear later. Yep. Strap a little glow stick onto the back of their BCD. Hey, when you're coming from my gear, you're going to have to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> We're grubbing. <laughs> That's what those big shears are for when you cut the fingers off to get the rings. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, did I? No, no. We, we'll, we'll edit that one out. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, as always, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And we did have a fan request this week. We had uh, Alan. You have fans? Fans and generators and cars and all sorts of stuff. No, uh, a fan of the show, Alan, he said, hi there. I really like your podcast. I've been a faithful listener for a few years. Unfortunately, my schedule does not work out for the chat room. Sometime could you talk about good books that are scuba related to read for those times when diving is not an option and reading is? Thanks. Now, you you just had a book, Matt, that you were reading, didn't you? Uh, actually, I had several I brought to the to the club. Uh, but the one I really hope everybody reads, uh, it's available, I'll bring to the next meeting. It's called Diver Down, Real World Scuba Accidents and How to Avoid Them. I talked about it last week a little bit, because as you read it, uh, you're going to say, how could they be that stupid? And then a couple of them, you're going to say, uh, okay, I've sort of done that. And that's how you can get yourself killed. Uh, it's a good one. And, uh, that's going to be available for club members every month. Somebody grabs it, and I'd like it back eventually, but I want everybody to read it. I'd like my buddies to make sure they read it so they can prevent me from doing something more stupid than I may accidentally do. That's but always good. Yes, it's, it's a good book. I enjoyed it. If you're interested in a good novel, it's called A Superior Death, and it's by Nevada Barr. It's been out for a while. He's got a series of them, uh, but I really enjoyed reading that one. And then we've actually... What was it about? Uh, 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 Nevada Bar writes about a U.S. park ranger, and so this one has to do with shipwrecks and special stuff found in a shipwreck uh, off Isle Royale. That's all I'll say because I don't want to spoil the plot, but it's a very interesting book. It's, you know, not a, a true diver-diver book. I hope diver that came book, across but, uh, to everybody else diving it, I didn't hear hardly anything. Um, I really enjoyed it. Could, could you say the name of the book again, Jim, one more time? A Superior Death by Nevada Barr, B-A-R-R. Okay, The Superior Death by Nevada Barr. And then if you're kind of back to the nonfiction... We have a book by uh, Steve Lewis, who will be our guest on the show next week. Uh, it's uh, Six Skills and Other Discussions, Creative Solutions for Technical Divers. Great book. Now, is that Who's the got one? It? You got that one, Jim? I've got that one. Yep. And is that one going to be um, available for review by other people? For a fee. <laughs> for a fee. <laughs> or a leg or an arm. or. Uh, yeah, we'll do a book trade, Mac. All right. Yeah, and then he'll be on, and I think he's got a new book coming out. 
and we'll let him talk about that next week. And I and I understand he's also going to be in our world underwater. So if you scour the boots, the boots, <laughs> boots, the, the booths, uh, I bet you he'll be in one of them. Poseidon. He'll be at the Poseidon booth. Poseidon booth. Is they're going to go take your book and have him sign it? Already did. Ah. Yeah, he got it from the source. Yeah, I bought mine directly from Steve when we were yeah. visiting one evening. Yeah, his new oh, book when is... when you guys took that class? Yeah, well, yeah, when we went over there for the rebreathers. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. A, a great guy, and his uh, newest book is Staying Alive, Applying Risk Management to Advanced Scuba Diving. And that one was just released uh, January 7th of this year, so fresh. That sounds like another good book to be looking at. Yeah. I may have to just check his area. Yeah, he, 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 I like the topics of his last couple books. And if you ever get a chance to spend time with him, I'm sure that's what he wants us to advertise. He's just a great person to listen to. He's got tons of stories. Hopefully we'll pry a few of them out of him next week. Yeah, I'd like to get Hay and Ralph Wilbanks and Bob Marks to sit down at a table with a bottle of bourbon and just spend the entire evening listening to stories from those three guys. Well, I think we got to start a little bit earlier because I'm not I'm not saying anything, but I think that uh, they uh, I don't think they stay up as late as they used to. <laughs> Neither do I. In fact, it's getting cla- it's getting close to my bedtime. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Hey, well, I want to squirrel. So you want, go ahead, squirrel. I want to squirrel. Uh, yeah. You're talking about cool new scuba gear. This yeah. isn't new, but I went to a uh, demonstration of Ocean Reef full face masks last night. And very interesting uh, information, a lot of good information about the full face. And this was geared primarily towards public safety divers fire ambulance, uh, rescue teams, or recovery teams. But there's a lot of application in sport diving uh, for full-face communications, um, video mounting. This, you know, I was really impressed with some of their stuff. So I've done a little full-face before, used an AGA, and it sure was nice under the ice. But uh, I'm thinking more and more about how to get comms going underwater especially as we start thinking about doing uh, some more excavation on Max Rec this year. It'd be nice to be able to communicate with the surface or with other divers. Yeah, yeah I agree. That'd be nice to, to get some of that stuff taken care of. At the minimum, though, I'm still looking at how to configure us an underwater recall for a reasonable price. I oh, think yeah. that's imperative that we have when we're out there at the minimum. And obviously... Uh, Having an underwater camo is is a real good deal. We have some available. Some of the people have them that are not full face. Uh, you can adapt them with your regulator. Uh, maybe that we'll have to break down and get some of those back out of the dust bins. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I'd, I'd At least having a, the primary diver on the bottom, uh, and if everybody keyed on him for time to go, or hey, let's get your butt up gear or something, mm-hmm. you'd have somebody down there. Knowing what's going on on the surface, excuse me, on the surface. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Would be good for for working dives this year. So, right, not not to preempt anything, but I understand that several dive shops have got some kind of literature from the preserve, Jim. Yes, uh, I, I, I'm sure that Darren wants to hear about that if he already sure. doesn't. No, I'm interested. 
Yeah, well, the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve is looking to partner with dive shops, and we're asking dive shops to provide each member of the preserve two or more air fills uh, this year. And the goal is if we can get 25 dive shops to provide two air fills each, then the preserve membership cards, which we look to sell for $25, would basically get you 50 air fills throughout the state for $25. Uh, we sent the mailing out on Monday, and I've already got uh, five shops signed up and two or three more that I know will be contacting me. So right now we've got uh, 10 air fills for $25, but I hope to get it up to 50 air fills for $25 um, as a way of helping to fund the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. That's awesome. I think it's a really I mean, even if you don't use them all, you are then doing two items. You're helping the preserve, plus you're helping yourself because you will get to use some of them. Yeah. Right. Well, right. The it, thought was if you go do a dive uh, over on, say, Lake 16 or someplace near one of the local dive shops, instead of taking your tanks back empty and going to your regular dive shop, um, go stop into one of our sponsor shops, get your fills right there close, and look and see what kind of uh, stuff this new dive shop has. You know, I'm not trying to pull anybody away from an individual dive shop, but competition's a good thing. And looking around, comparing prices, comparing brands, and uh, seeing what charters different shops are running, you may find that, you know, you're diving enough to support a couple of shops with charters and trips and different gear and different options. Yep. Well, and then what happens with that membership money? What, what does that get you? The membership money uh, will get you a card from the, the preserve. Uh, we'll put you on our mailing list, so we'll let you know what's going on. Um, you'll get uh, references to the wrecks that, uh, any wrecks that get buoyed in the preserve, um, information about upcoming events, and uh, we hope to have a very busy dive season this year, but there's some pieces in the, in the works that I'm just not quite ready to talk about. Excellent. So, and I'm sure we'll have some updates in the, as they develop in the coming weeks. Yeah, right now our, our website's being redeveloped by an outstanding website designer, and we hope to have that up and running soon, and then uh, we'll be putting a PayPal link on there or a donate link where you'll be able to just get your, right over the internet, uh, make your donation to the preserve, and we'll mail you out your, your card. That'd be excellent. Let's see, is there anything, anybody anything else to plug? Uh, let's see, I can't think of anything at this moment. We do have Dive Club meeting next uh, Tuesday. Next Tuesday, we'll, we'll be able to recount our wild exploits at Our World Underwater. And also be able to identify who may be going on Saturday to the Four Seahorses and arrange uh, rides and whatever. Excellent. Well, are we ready for that time of the show? I have been preparing myself. So I've got a couple to choose from, and I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, which one to do. You know, sometimes you get, you get, you know, they're both so good that you just, you hate to, to let one go. 
Let's see here. I got one that's seasonal, and I got one that's just plain. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Ready. Roll it. This one's going to be a little bit educational, so what we're going to do is we're going to show you uh, where the phrase, you've probably wondered, the you got to be shitting me came from. Well, so it happens it originated from the father of our country way back when George Washington was crossing the Delaware River with his troops. There were 33, remember that number, in Washington's boat. It was extremely dark and storming furiously, and the water was tossing about them. Finally, Washington grabbed Colonel Peters and stationed him in front of the boat with a lantern. He ordered him to uh, keep swinging it so they could see where they're heading. Uh, I called him Colonel, but he's actually a corporal. Corporal Peters, uh, through the di- driving rain and, and cold, continued swinging the lantern back and forth, back and forth. Then a big gust of wind and wave hit and threw uh, Corporal Peters and his lantern into the Delaware. Washington's troops searched for hours trying to find Corporal Peters, but to no avail. All of them felt terrible for the corporal had been one of their favorites. Sometime later, Washington's troops landed on the other side. They were wet and totally exhausted. He rallied the troops and told them that they must go on. Another hour later, one of his men said, General, I see lights ahead. They trudged towards the lights and came upon this huge house. What they didn't know was that this was a house of ill repute, uh, hidden in the forest to serve all who came. George Washington pounded on the door, his men crowding behind him. The door swung open. Much to his surprise stood this beautiful woman. Huge smile came across her face to see so many men standing there. Washington was the first to speak. Ma'am, I'm General George Washington, and these are my men. We are tired, wet, and exhausted, and desperate, and we need warmth and comfort. Again, the madam looked at the men standing there with a broad smile on her face and said, Well, General, you've come to the right place. We surely can give you warmth and comfort. How many do you have? Washington replied, Well, ma'am, there are 32 of us without Peters. And the madam said, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> uh, do you have to put an X-rated thing on this before we say? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we may have to put a disclaimer on this one. <laughs> no corporal, Peters. Yeah. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no alpaca nor sheep were harmed in the making of tonight's show. But then again, Dave joined the show late. <laughs> Does Dave have any comment? Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>